Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4, verse 8. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of our Deeply Rooted Faith podcast. And welcome to our new listeners. My name is Marge, and I'm just so excited to have you guys here with me. We simply exist to glorify the name of Jesus Christ and spread the gospel. So join us as we journey through what it actually means to be deeply rooted in him. Hey guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Deeply Rooted Faith podcast. I am so glad to have you guys here with us. Um, I took a sabbatical for a few weeks because I needed to figure some stuff out to be mentally healthy because mental health is extremely important. What a, what a privilege it is to actually come on here and share my experiences and be able to share um, the heart of Jesus with you guys scripturally. To be quite honest, this past month has been extremely difficult. The enemy tried it and the enemy is going to keep trying it. But guess what? I am standing on God's word that he will never leave me nor forsake me and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So we push because we have no other choice. We push through because we know that God is with us. At the end, we win. We already have victory. I believe the Holy Spirit has something to say. So today we'll be reading out of the book of James. The epistle of James speaks candidly about practical ways of living out one's faith. He talks about the trials of endurance. He talks about what is required in order for one to have a deep relationship with God and a plethora of other subject matters that is substantial to a believer's walk. The specific chapter that the Lord Lord wants us to focus on today is James 4, um, verse 1 through 10. James 4 comes as a warning against worldliness. So our plan for today is to unravel James 4 and see what the Holy Spirit wants to say. The title of this episode is called Draw Near. Our anchor scripture for today is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4 verse 8. We'll be reading out of the ESV version. But before we dive right into the word or the message, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your tangible presence that is in this place. Father, direct my steps by your word and let no inequity have dominion over me. We come in the name of the resurrected Christ, whose I am, whom I believe in, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in, he- of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. King Jesus, we glorify and magnify your holy name. We thank you for the manifestation of your word that is active and alive. Let your heart be displayed through your words. Circumcise our ears to hear and do a great work in our hearts for your glory. And as I always say, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer, my savior, my prince of peace, my waymaker, my light in a darkness, my everything. All right, let's get started. I want to take a moment to make a statement. We live in a society where men are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of power, where we are pressured to live lives of deception 
engrossed in the things of the world, trying to fit the mold of a passing world. Yet the Lord is calling many of us to come out, come out from among them and be separate. Being counterculture following Christ in an anti-Christian age is extremely difficult. Standing for the truth in the righteousness of God when the rest of the world is trying to convince you otherwise is difficult. But we have to keep, but what we have to keep at the forefront of our mind is that belief in Christ in the gospel will cause conflict with people in the world. Because the narrative is, right, you don't need Jesus. You don't need to live righteous. You don't need to be holy before a holy God. You just need to do what makes you happy. What if I told you? The goal is not happiness, but the goal is is one's willingness to suffer for Christ and to not be conformed to this world, but conform to the image of Jesus. I have an assignment to speak biblical truth to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And biblical truth may be uncomfortable to some because it creates confrontation with the culture around and within us. Beloved, the gospel in itself is offensive. For the word says on Matthew 10, verse 34 through 39, I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The question then becomes, are you willing to lose your life for the sake of his? I believe the Holy Spirit has something to say. What the Spirit of the Lord is saying to his people in this hour is to grow in me, meaning to grow in maturity. As I began to ask the Holy Spirit, how does one progress in maturity? The Spirit of the Lord began to unravel James 4. James was a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant of God is someone who is dedicated to Jesus Christ as their one master. It is said that in most cases, the term bondservant is referred to a person in a permanent role of service, meaning their service was not one they could consider leaving. Which means if one is a true bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, one could not just relinquish their place of assignment. It's a, it, it was a life sentence. James was one of the ones recorded to have died for Jesus' allegiance. Let's take a journey through the word of the Lord, which is breathed and inspired by God, to see what the Holy Spirit reveals. These chapters are a bit lengthy, but we're going to be all right. What we're going to try to do is try to elucidate these verses with the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, apart from you, I am nothing. So I thank you for going before me and Holy Spirit, just have your way. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to James 4, verse 1 through 10. We'll be reading out of the ESV translation. And it reads, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose, is it to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives great, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The first verse I want us to take a look at is James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? I want us to pay close attention to the first questions James asks. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So here we have the bond servant James asking a rhetorical question, right? The questions posed here is to start a, dis- a discourse or to expatiate on the very foundation of what causes conflicts among a people. What he is boldly proclaiming is that the very cause for our disagreements or dissension, the very reasons for our fights, is because our passions are at war within us. Let's expatiate on the word passion for a minute. The word passion is is described as any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling, as love or hate. Our passions shape what we go after. Having passion for something is internally generated. The word passion in Greek has a family of terms. The first one I want us to take a look at is pathema, which translates to that which befalls one, whether it be sad or joyous, a suffering, a passion, the capacity to feel strong emotion like suffering properly, the capacity and the privilege of experiencing strong feeling, felt, deep emotion like agony, passion, ardent desire, suffering, etc. It is said that pathema isn't inherently negative. It is only negative when it's experienced apart from faith. So think about the suffering one must go through in relation to faith. Or you can think about the suffering that Christ had to endure in order for his father to be glorified. It is also akin to um, the Greek word pathos, which translates to inordinate affection. And inordinate affection is an unhealthy and obsessive attachment to a person or a thing that manifests through uncontrollable love. Because the word pathos is closely related to the word affection, I want you to think idols. So from that same Greek element comes the word hedoni, which means desire for pleasure, gratification of sinful desire, or one may say lust of the flesh. So now that we've layered this in a way that brings a bit of clarity on the word passion, we're going to see James, the bondservant of the Lord, expound on the doctrine of worldliness. Worldliness is described as concern with material values or ordinary life rather than a spiritual existence. All right, so now let's take a look at these short statements made by James. Listen to the language here. James 4, um, James 4 verse 2 through 4 Reads, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is so much to unpack here. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. The word, the word murder gripped me, and this is why. Right? One of the Ten Commandments are um, you should not murder or kill, right? I mean, we all know that it's unlawful to kill another human being. Our desires doesn't always equate to physical harm or murder. So the context in which James um, uses the term murder here has a, a wider range. Could it be that the murdering that he is speaking of is describing someone's destructive activity or behavior? What do I mean by that? One's subconscious, subconscious beliefs or one's thoughts can create corruptible seeds, seeds that can grow to produce a crippling within the body corporately or individually. For the word says in Romans 12:21 to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the awareness that James bring, brings forth here is if one's desire or thoughts are not being filtered through Christ, then the probability of murder is likely. In the subsequent verses, we get to see the type, the types of desires that leads to murder, and it states, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Notice the very first character trait mentioned here is covet. Covet is defined as the um, to yearn, to possess, or have something. It is not merely wishing for more but going after it, lusting for it, working to hold on to it. It is also said that to covet is to have one's heart set on something. So what James is warning us about are the sins of the flesh that lurks from within that we must put to death. The Bible says in Colossians 3.5 to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. The word says you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Look at the destructiveness of the spirit of covetousness here. As I was meditating on this specific verse, the Holy Spirit whispered, these people are growing seeds like that, like that of Satan. They always go straight in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Going astray in your heart simply means to, to um, wonder in error to let your heart be deceived or seduced. The heart is what drives us. The heart is what lures us. The Holy Spirit then began to speak about the condition of one's covetous heart, how so many of us carry such seed within our hearts and how those seeds are to be uprooted if we are to grow in maturity. Many of us covet without remorse. We covet subconsciously. That's just the nature of our world. Hello, social media. Social media. Then I began to ask the Holy Spirit to help me connect the dots. He then took me to an episode that I recorded last season and, it, and this scripture echoed in my spirit. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I was led to revisit Matthew 4, verse 8 through 10 um, with a different lens. So please bear with me. And it reads, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Back to the very beginning, whispered the Holy Spirit, then it became clear. 
You see, Satan rebelled against God because deep down in his heart was the seed of covetousness. He wanted all that God had, so he tried to usurp God's power. He sought out to overthrow God's kingdom by raging war in heaven. What this showed me is that Satan's heart wondered in error. His heart was deceived to think that a created being was equivalent to the nature of God. Guess what? All he needed was a thought. Just like the words spoken out of one's mouth have the power of life and death, so does our thoughts. Our thoughts have power. Matter of fact, our actions are a direct result of our thinking. Or one can say our thoughts become an outward expression of what we experience and do. So this is what happened to Satan, right? He manifested this thought of overthrowing the kingdom of God because he desired power. Because of his because of his desire for power, he became rebellious. And we know that sin is lawlessness. It is the spirit of the serpent in its fullness, and it is also the spirit that controls our world, also the spirit of the antichrist. He yearned to be a ruler. So therefore, the spirit of error created a covetous idol in his heart. One that would then become an outward expression of his actions of wanting to overthrow the kingdom of God. And because his process of acquisitiveness could not be obtained, it produced envy within him. And with this envious spirit came the spirit of lust and that of anger. He became so angry that he was willing to go to war. You know, I read somewhere that war happens from the compelling lore of dominion, from pretensions or grandeur, from greed. It is the product of tyranny, excessive ambition, incompetence, and decadence. I want you guys to see the parallel here. Satan and his minions did not stay within their position of authority. They wanted to acquire more than what was given to them. So they began to covet a position of power, therefore losing focus on the creator but worship and idolize his position. And it's the same with us. Oftentimes we will worship and idolize people in position of power, lusting after what they have. And the spirit of lust gradually become this uncontrollable thing in us of us never having enough or us never being satisfied with what God has given us. The Holy Spirit is saying, to be the holy spirit is saying to be careful on what you set your affections on for these inordinate affections can become idols in our hearts you see the enemy will use the things of this world to appeal and to activate the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes he will use your desires he will use your passions to deceive you because our very lives are focused on self gratification He tried to manipulate Jesus in the wilderness by offering him the kingdoms of the world by trying to appeal to his flesh. Jesus's passion was his redemptive work on the cross. Meaning, he would suffer for you and I. He would take on the sins of the world in order to restore us to a right standing or right relationship with God, right? And guess what the devil did? The devil in terms offered Jesus a shortcut into his future at the cost of exchanging the love of the Father for the worship of Satan. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan is after our worship. If he can get us to worship and idolize the things of the world, 
if he can get us to deviate our focus, if he can get us to set our affections elsewhere and not on the things of God, then he's accomplished his job. Listen, family. Listen, family. Hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. Be aware of what you set your affections on. For the spirit of covetousness is an active spirit in our world, and it is one that is detestable to God. For anything that is first in our life has become an idol before God. For the word says, you shall have no other gods before me. So we must obey his teaching and follow his commands. For if we do not know the Lord's commandments, or if we're not familiar with his word or his voice, we become susceptible to the, to the deception of the enemy. I believe the implied, the implied counsel here is so we are made aware that covetousness is evil. It lies at the heart of where most sin originates. It can easily lead to other sins. It is a gnawing disease. Covetousness is simply idolatry. So what does the manifestation of the spirit of covetousness really, um, really looks like? It looks like idolizing and coveting another's relationship, another's anointing, another's possessions, another's ministry, another's level, uh, another's leadership role or position. And this is the command of the Lord. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's because it is a sin that separates people from God. Uh, And Exodus 20 verse 17 is the reference for that command. And it reads, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Could it be that the Lord want to help us identify our covetous practices because they serve as an entryway for the enemy to whisper ideologies that are contrary to God's? Just like the enemy whispered into the angel's ears that sided with his agenda. Just like he seduced Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word says, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not, you do not ask. So here we see the bondservant James deal with both attitudes and behavior. Fight and quarrel are a byproduct of covetous practices. It has caused angry disputes. It has caused disagreements to the point of permanent break in friendly relations, corporately or individually. Isn't that what fight and quarreling means? It has caused people to sow corruptible seeds, seeds of envy, seeds of hate, seeds of discord, seeds of sabotage within its members because of jealousy, lust, and envy. Isn't that what Satan did in heaven? All right, so let's keep going. In the subsequent verse, it states, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. We live in a society where people ask things of God only when it benefits them. Some people treat God like he's just a means to their selfish desires. God is not here for our convenience factor. He is not our personal genie in a bottle where we get to use him only when we need him. God wants to be wanted. He doesn't want to be used. Just visualize for a second, right? So you have a best friend, but the only time they connect with you is when they need something from you. The only time they call you to see how you're doing is to borrow money from you. How would that make you feel? Now imagine how God feels. 
The only time we pray or commune with him is when we need something from him. What the word is saying is that the reason why some of us are not receiving what we're asking God for is because we're asking with the wrong intentions. We are asking with the wrong motives. God bless me with the man. God bless me with the car. God bless me with the house. Or often we see people write on social media platforms, Lord, it's me again. I see you're do I see what you're doing in others' lives. Meanwhile, idols are being formed in our hearts, substituting material things in the place of God. You know, this is what it actually looks like, right? Rather than seeking to honor God and advance his purposes on the earth, we're seeking to gratify our desires or our self-centered passions. The word says you're adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Look at the language here. You adulterous people, could it be that James is referring to the spiritual adultery that takes place between Christ and his beloved bride, which is the church? Spiritual adultery is like one who prostitutes themselves for personal gain. You know, whenever God spoke about an adulterous people, it was in reference to their unfaithfulness towards him. An, un an unfaithful person is one who is fickle. Changing frequently, especially as regards one's loyalty, interest, or affection. This is, the, this is our history with God. We are some fickle humans. Yet, he has always remained faithful, even in our unfaithfulness. Adam and Eve were unfaithful by rejecting God's governance. The Israelites were unfaithful by making a golden calf with the jewelry that was gifted to them. But guess what? We are cut from the same cloth. They knew God, he walked with them, yet they created an idol after their own heart, one they could identify with because they sought satisfaction and fulfillment for the things of the world. Verse 4 is the perfect example of this. It brings about the worldliness warning in that the importance of not putting our trust in a worldly system. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But first, we must identify what it means to be friends with the world, right? Because being a friend of someone is a state of enduring affection. Friends have emotional attachment to another. So being friends with the world means having an emotional attachment to the world and living like the world does. Living by its wisdom, adapting its values, because there's an emotional attachment there. We live in orgies and drunkenness, and sexual immorality and sensuality, in quarreling and jealousy, self-sufficiency, pride, self-glorification, and spiritual adultery. What James alludes to here is that we make ourselves enemies of God when we choose when we choose what is antithetical to God and His ways. When we subject and submit ourselves to the standard of the world, we make ourselves readily available for Satan to use because he is the prince in the power of the air. Friendship with the world opposes God because the spirit of the world is that of Satan. We can't serve both. We have to pick one. For the word says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So my question then becomes, which one are you devoted or submitted to? For the word says on John 1, 2, verse 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes in pride of life is not from the Father, but it, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Beloved, this worldly system is anti-God. It is anti-Jesus. It is anti-holiness. It is anti-righteous. It is anti-anything that pertains to God's kingdom on the earth. For the word says on Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Family, it is imperative that we understand that the gravitational pull of the world is always pulling us away from God. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. Now let's take a look at verse 5 through 8, and it reads, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. I'm going to read that question again because this is the tangible heart of the Father being put on display here. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. It states, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. The word yearn in Hebrew has many concordance. The first one I want us, the first one I want us to take a look at is the word aregome, which means aspire, stretch towards, to stretch oneself out in order to touch or grasp or grasp something. This emphasizes the personal desire of the subject, focusing on what the object personally means to the subject. The second one I is a bit more difficult to pronounce, so excuse me while I butcher this word. Um, it is the word splenizome. Splenizome. It is spelled S-P-L-A-G-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Can you guys see why I'm butchering it? Meaning to be to be moved in the inward parts to feel compassion. His personal desires is that one of oneness. He deeply desires that we worship him only because he is a jealous God. So he's placed a divine jealous spirit within us. Believe it or not, there is such a thing as a righteous jealousy. God is extremely jealous when it comes to his people, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, is a turning point of huge importance at this juncture. As a result of this divine jealousy, he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Who are the proud that God is speaking of? Well, he is speaking of those who refuse to repent of their wicked ways. He is speaking of those who refuse to turn and have chosen the ways and the methods of this world. 
But those who repent, those who are humble and remain in a posture of humility, he gives he gives grace to. The grace of God is wrapped in one person, and that is Jesus. The grace to endure the trials and tribulations of this world. For the word says his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The imperative of the Christian life, right? The command of submitting to God, the command of healing to his governance enables us to withstand the devices of the enemy. Just like Jesus resisted the temptations of the devil in the wilderness, then the, an- then the angels came to minister to him. That's how I visually see it. Resist the devil and he will flee. Indeed. Could it be that the word devil is a spiritual metaphor for the world? Resist the, resist the world and submit to God instead. Verse 8 reads, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Family, hear me by the Spirit of the Lord. Even after all of our idolatry, even after all of our harlotry, even after all our hedonism, in schism, even after our covetous practices, the Lord is still inviting us to draw near. In the subsequent verses, we see practical ways of drawing near to God. The word says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I truly believe the context of this verse here is to bring the awareness to one's personal sanctification process of being cleansed, and it is that of the internal and external posture of one's heart and behavior, because when you think about it, right? In order for one to truly draw near to God, there needs to be a oneness of the heart and of the mind. So in essence, someone who's double-minded can't really serve God. Let me prove it to you. The Bible actually warns us of such people. Well, let's take a look at James 1 verse 8, and it reads, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I want us to have a visual of what it actually means to be double-minded. The Hebrew word for double-minded is dipsuchos, meaning someone who's two-spirited, someone who facilitates an opinion or purpose. A double-minded person is one who wavers, one who doubts, one who is uncertain, one whose interest is divided. It is said that the word describes the spiritual condition of having two souls, that both want different things at once. It is therefore a state of inner contradiction of having two separate minds holding contradictory thoughts. Could it be that the Lord is tired of us being inconsistent or he is tired of us trying to serve to masters? The Lord is calling us to make up our minds. The Lord is calling us to stability so we're not like a wave of the sea that is, that is driven and tossed by the wind. The beckoning of the Holy Spirit is for us to turn away from the ways of the world and repent. For practical sanctification comes as we stop healing to sin, as we stop healing to the ways of the world and start healing to God. The perpetual state of drawing near to God is that of repentance and humility. In the subsequent verses, these verses are the perfect example of this. Verses 9 through 10 reads, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Family, we have to get to a place where we are willing to take up our cross and follow Christ. And our cross must signify our death. The Holy Spirit has been kind enough to show us the way that we should follow. So let us be sorrowful and weep. 
Let us turn away from our sins and follow the path of Jesus. Let us be made low before him. Because in order for us to be made alive in Christ, we must first be crucified with Christ. But the reality is, family, not many of us want to truly be crucified with Christ. For this is the posture of many. We serve God with a half-hearted allegiance. We waver to and fro. We prostitute ourselves for personal gain. We place our trust in a worldly system that is passing away. We have one foot in the, in the world, one foot in the church. And that, beloved, is called double-mindedness, which also lies in the heart. And the Holy Spirit says, I am looking for a people who will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of their minds. Christ in us, the new creature. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Will that person be you? Are you willing to divorce this worldly system? Are you willing to turn your, are you willing to turn away from your idolatry and serve me wholeheartedly? Are you willing to serve me with a sincere heart? Are you willing to die for my allegiance if it came down to it? Are you are you willing? Says the Spirit of the Lord. Are you willing? If you are willing, then you must draw near, for in my nearness you become separated unto me. hallelujah hallelujah jesus father we thank you for this word lord i humble myself at your feet knowing that the desire of my heart is to simply please you i acknowledge that i am a sinner but because of what jesus christ did on the cross of calvary i can present my supplications before you not because of my righteous deeds but because of your great mercies so father in this moment i stand in the gap with your angels i stand in the gap father god as a child of the most high god made in your likeness father saturate the airways i pray on behalf of your people and for myself that if there's any idols in our hearts father i ask that you expose and uproot them father we take captive every thought and we make it subservient to christ we come against the spirit of covetousness which is the spirit of the antichrist brewing up to bring dissension within your church and your members we arrest it in the spirit we arrest it in the natural you spirit of antichrist you spirit of deceit the blood of jesus christ is against you we plead the blood of jesus in every place the enemy may try to infiltrate father we cover the hearts and the minds of your people for that is the enemy's playing field oh lord jesus i pray that our conduct matches our creed i pray for your people to turn back to you and for those who don't know you father holy spirit do a great work within them and draw them near reveal jesus that they might that they might be saved father and most of all jesus most of our father god i pray that we become a people who will turn away from our idolatry and serve you wholeheartedly father this is the cry of my heart let us not reject the way of Christ and embrace the ways of the world. Let us seek you with all of our hearts. For your word says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Lord, we want to find you. Lord, we want to keep you. Let us be a willing people with a heart after your own. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
Well, guys, this concludes our episode for this week. My challenge for you guys for this week is to ask the Holy Spirit to expose any idolatry, any covetous practices um, in your heart that may serve as an entry for the enemy and just kind of repent of those you know, practices and to really think about where your heart is focused. Do you fit the category of a doubled-minded person? Or are you more concerned with material values or ordinary life rather than the spiritual existence in Christ? My hope is that as we reflect on those questions, that the Holy Spirit will open up our eyes to the truth. So thank you guys for rocking with Jesus and I. I want to leave you guys with, with a scripture and it is Galatians 2 verse 20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I will live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Be encouraged. Don't let this worldly system swallow you whole because that is its intent. Just stay faithful to God. Pursue God with all of your heart. Seek him with all of your heart and you will see the salvation. You will see the goodness of the Lord. So thank you for listening. Love you guys. See you guys next time.